Evolutionary.org presents Evolutionary Hardcore Podcast with your co-hosts, Steve from the American Underground and Mobster from the UK Iron Den. Get ready for the most hardcore and underground info in the industry. And here we go. 10, 9, 8, 7, 6... Evolutionary.org hardcore podcast coming your way. Steve Smee here and the mobs are joining me from across the pond. What's up, man? All good in the hood, fella. Let's uh, let's kick it. I want to branch is a good one to do. I'm gonna enjoy this. Yeah, so mobster, this is one of mobster's uh favorite guys here. We haven't done anything on him before. Number 148. This is gonna be Branch Warren, and just the name Branch Warren. Um you know, even for people who don't follow bodybuilding mobster, you know, Branch Warren, because he's been in the bodybuilding scene for so many years, and he's made a name for himself, both in bodybuilding and in business. So we're going to kind of talk about him and his life story, guys. We're going to talk about his steroid cycle, speculating spirit cycle. So who is he? Former pro bodybuilder. And he's a current entrepreneur. He's from the east side of Texas. East Texas, guys, Texas has a lot of different sections. East Texas is more the rural, more the south, the Dixie part of Texas. So people from East Texas are going to be different from people, say, from Austin or from El Paso or from San Antonio or, for, you know, from Dallas, you know. So he's more of a, a bunch of countries. Yeah, he's more of a country boy. And yeah. um, he basically he won a lot of professional contests in his bodybuilding career finished second at Mr. Olympia, and he won the Arnold Classic. So he definitely made a name in bodybuilding. He's a legit guy, and he really was successful in it, not winning Mr. Olympia, but coming damn close. So he's been bodybuilding since he was a teenager and competing, and we're going to take a look, guys, on my information. He's a small guy. He's my height. He's not mobster's height, five foot six, but he's a big guy, 250 pounds, 21-inch arms, 56-inch chest. And he's got a tight 34-inch waist. Those are his peak stats. Born in 1975. So he is now in his mid-40s. And as of this podcast, guys, he is 46 years old. Three decades in the bodybuilding career. So in 1992, he started out. He won Mr. America, Teenage Mr. America. And that was the start of his career. By the end of the 90s, he was placing at NPC Nationals, top four. 2001, he won first place in that. 2004, he got eighth place at the Night of Champions. So he's got some, some good awards. As far as his Mr. Olympia, very impressive, guys. 2005, he got eighth place. Next year, he got 12th place. 2009, he got a distant second place to Jay Cutler with Dexter Jackson just one point behind. And in 2010, he was third place behind Jay Cutler and Phil Heath. So he ran into a buzzsaw during his peak when he couldn't get past Jay Cutler. He got ninth in 2013 at Mr. Olympia, sixth in 2014 and in 2015. His biggest wins were his back-to-back on classic victories in 2011 and 2012. So, Mobster, you wanna jump in and give us your thoughts before we get into his early early life? Yeah, I'm gonna say that the Arnold Classics were probably his best look. And if I remember rightly, and I would want to double check this as I say it, I'm pretty sure one of those Arnold Classics came after a, a quad injury. So it was one of those, you're doomed, you're never going to be able to compete at a high level again kind of scenarios. And lo and behold, he goes away, he says, in essence, fuck you, comes back and proves everybody wrong. And as I say, I believe that one of his uh, Arnold Classics was his best condition. And that's just from memory again. I'm thinking back looking in the magazines and stuff at the time. What's interesting for me, and he tells a great story on some podcast videos that he's done himself, is his, his, the business with being a teenage bodybuilder. He talks about, essentially, someone must have recognized he had a talent. And this particular fellow hooked up with him and says, listen, you're not training right. Come train with me. This guy's a quality physique. Branch turns up. He says, I puked up three times during the first workout. But I came back. I came back. I came back. I wouldn't let the person see that I was, you know, puking and, and, and struggling and whatever else. And he talks about the first year putting on something close to 20 pounds. His best kind of stories is as this fellow says, do we need to go to 
a proper gym and Branch doesn't know any better. And he says, proper gym. I thought this was a proper gym. Go, no, no, this is not like a fitness center. And he describes in his words, going to a place that's kind of funky. He said, you could, there was girls in bikinis lunging in the car park. You could hear music as you drove in and we've not even arrived at the building yet. And then we go inside and the place is kind of dirty. And of course, Steve, he's describing the oh so famous Metroflex. And he gets into stuff. There's whole stories. You guys need to look this up for yourself. But there's whole stories that he tells and refers to indirectly of fights and crazy stuff. And the, the, the fella that showed him the ropes kind of scalping a fella and all this kind of stuff. It was just crazy. Brian Dobson uh, doing, um, if people had to fight, they'd have to fight outside in the car park. And only the winner was allowed to come back in and train. It's just, I like hardcore, Steve, but it sounds a little bit too much like crazy to me. But the thing of it is, and I think Steve might appreciate this as much as I do, you have a mentor who kind of, kind of throws you in at the deep end and you keep on swimming. And that's kind of cool because you are shown the ropes by some of the best guys around. These, these crazy motherfuckers, powerlifters, because Netflix has always had powerlifters, bodybuilders, etc. If you can do what they're doing, they will take you under their wing and they will show you the ropes. He talks about training, literally training with, uh, with Ronnie. He talks about uh, doing powerlifting competitions at the same time as Ronnie. All this kind of stuff. Ronnie not let, wanting to be beat, that whole mentality. And this, I think, was what made him into the bodybuilder that he is, Steve. All, all of what we talked about with his statistics doesn't really tell you enough about the man. And we've not even got into, as you and I discussed in the pre-show, the, the businessman, which we're going to touch on in a moment. But is is this ordeal by fire molded him. It means he's not afraid of pain. He's not afraid of injuries. He's not afraid to make a comeback. He's been around crazy idiots that just grind his stiff out. He talks about a famous powerlifter forgetting to do up his belt, still going down in a hole with 900 pounds. He talks about Ronnie, not say, you know, Ronnie's still talking about Ronnie's injuries and Ronnie's still being upset about the fact he could have done more reps on one of his videos and done more in training than they ever recorded and all this kind of stuff. And if you can get through that, a lot of people will be turned off by it. A lot of people will run away. A lot of people will be scared of their injuries. I'm screwed. I'm going to retire. Branch doesn't have to have that in him. He just keeps coming back. He keeps pounding away. And he's, he's what we might call a bodybuilder's bodybuilder. It's just someone who's he's going to do this stuff forever. He even talks about now that he's more focused on business and kind of retire from the sport. And he, he still says now, I will always train. It's what I do. I love that kind of stuff, Steve. And that's to say, without, that's without getting into the actual training and that's without getting into the, the, the business stuff. Back to you. Yeah, so he covered pretty much everything of his teenage. Also, he's married to Trish Warren, mm. and she's a solid bodybuilder. You guys can look up her pictures on Instagram yeah. as well. She's definitely into it. So when you're married to someone who's very much into it, it can be a good thing and it can be a bad thing. I've, I've done it before. Um, there's some good things about it. There's some bad things about it. Sometimes I just want to do my own thing. I just want to go to the gym by myself. And when your spouse, girlfriend, fiance, wife, whatever is also into the gym, something, you know, a lot of times she wants to go with you. And, and it's kind of like, well, I want to go to the gym for 40 minutes, but she's in the gym and you're ready to go home and eat. And she's still like in the cardio room going at it. And she's like, oh, give me another 20 minutes. I'll be done. Well, it's like, okay, now I just got to sit around, you know, and wait for her to finish. So there's some good things about it. There's some bad things. I think a lot of our listeners would think, well, I want someone who will go with me to the gym. I want someone who will bodybuild with me, but be careful what you wish for. I mean, at the end of the day, guys, I mean, it's sometimes better to have your own hobby separate she can yeah. do her thing. You do your thing. Sometimes it's not always a good thing. I've gone, I've had girlfriends that were like 110 pounds and it's like, I go, they want to go to the gym with me. And I'm like, okay, let's go to the gym. And I'm sitting there, you know, we're bench pressing. I'm sitting there spending my energy unloading 45 pound weights off the bench because she can only do the bar plus like five or 10 pounds. So each set I got to unload and reload. And it's just like, oh, this is, you know, so annoying. So 
you know, just depends on the situation. Sometimes it's better just to do something different, but he seems to enjoy it with his wife and they have a teenage daughter and the daughter, we'll see if the daughter ends up being into bodybuilding as well. Quick, quick comment. If you go back and I'm just thinking of the history of bodybuilding and the, the top Mr. Olympia competitors, etc., the vast majority of these guys, and for this probably even the female side, the, the, the Miss, Miss Olympias, etc., their partners, I would say 80% are not what we would call trained athletes. They might go to the gym, they might do some sort of exercise or whatever else, but they are not competitive bodybuilders. Uh, typically, as Steve has already said, it just doesn't work. Uh, and it might sound incredibly selfish and, and narcissistic and whatever else, but the reality of the situation is in order to be a great athlete or great at anything, is you need the other person to be supportive. Male, female, transgender, whatever. They need to be supportive. That sounds incredibly selfish. Arguably, again, of course, if you are incredibly successful, then both of you get to enjoy the rewards. It means that you need some, let's be honest, you need someone at home sorting out the food, you need someone at home sorting out the bills, you need to be the kind of person that goes, gets up at five o'clock, goes for a run if you're a boxer, all this other crazy stuff. If you're up at five o'clock running, you know, miles with your big old boots on and trying to win the heavyweight championship of the world, you're not at home with the kids. You're not, you're not going down to the shop. You're not a Walmart picking up. You're just not doing that stuff. Someone else is doing that stuff. And some of the top prizes talked about having a team of people. The training partner becomes part of that team. The physio becomes part of that team. The wife, the girlfriend or whatever, they become part of that team. It's just a reality. In this particular situation, Branch has been incredibly fortunate with Trish completely understanding and being incredibly supportive, but at the same time, having her own career, doing her own stuff. In fact, you could even turn around and say that perhaps she's actually the better of the two because she's supported him in all these things, helped him become the pro and still been able to go out and kick, kick ass at a high level in her own case. <clears throat> she is, guys, check it out. Like Steve said, she's got a damn good physique. Uh, for back in the day when she was competing. Now they're both kind of retired from bodybuilding. I can't remember the last time Trish competed. Same applies to, to Branch. So they're both kicking ass in, in, in the, the social media side. They're both kicking ass in business. So again, he has been incredibly lucky. And something else, Steve, I don't think we're talking about anybody else in this scenario. He's been with Trish a long time. There's never been any stories I can think of with regards to anybody else being on the scene or causing issues or whatever else. So that's a solid ass relationship. He got incredibly lucky with, with Trish and having her on side has been a massive uh, boon to his business and everything that he's done in the sport. And at the same time, she's still being able to, to train and compete at a very high level herself. Back to you. So really quick, guys, he's got a jerky business. It's called, uh, what's it called? Uh, it's called Wicked Cuts. Oh, Wicked Cuts, yeah. yeah. And he's got almost a million followers on Instagram. He posts lots of bodybuilding pictures. He does interviews, uh, motivational lifting videos. And he's got the typical Texas, East Texas type things, the, the guns, the big dogs, the trucks, other manly things to draw in the young. I don't know if it draws you in uh, mops or any of that stuff draws you it in. It doesn't, it doesn't. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah. I, don't, I understand it, right? I never yeah. put that kind of stuff on my Instagram. It's never like, look at my toys. And I've got the same, you know, toys as anybody else. But it's, I just think, like I said to you earlier, he's a man's man. He's that kind of guy. He boar hunts with dogs. And when it comes to the kill, the dog's holding the boar and he kills it with a knife. I don't think there's something you can I think it's just the way it's been brought up. I mean, we've, we've got BM, as you know, on the forums that talks about some of this kind of lifestyle. And I think with, with Branch, he talks about being a farm boy. If you did, you wanted money, you worked. If you wanted food, you hunted. It's that kind of situation. He only hunts what he eats, which we've talked about before. So, yeah, I think it's innate. But, yeah, I can imagine if you're looking at it, you go, is this like put on or is this for real? In Branch's case, I think it's for real. There's a lot on social media, as you know, where it's like, I mean, I've done this with posts on Facebook. I will take a picture of something and you go, well, that's amazing. Outside of the photograph, it might be kind of messy or less than perfect or whatever else. Same as yours. With Branch, this is real. He's really hunting boar with dogs. He really has the guns. He really has that ranch. He really has the horses. This is kind of real. Then what the hell? He's been working really, really hard to get some of these things. Everything about Branch is real. Uh, even the voice. It kind of sounds sometimes, if it was anybody else, you'd say the voice was affected. A branch kind of talks like this all the time. 
that's exactly how he is. So yeah, he's probably one of the few guys on Instagram that keeps it real because that's just how he is. It's it's kind of cool in that particular way. We're not talking about fake online persona people. This is him since he was a teenage boy, and that's well before Instagram. Yeah. So get into his training, and then we'll talk. I'll talk about his nutrition. We can kind of get into his steroid use. Yeah. I'll talk about the training right now, Steve. It's something he's addressed himself as well, right? Strong, obviously crazy, crazy, crazy quads that have come from training. He's had injuries uh, in the gym and uh, vis-a-vis the Generation Iron falling off a damn horse because the horse was startled by the film crew, even though he'd asked them not to. Um, he talks about his training, he says, and people critique him, critique him and say his training is sloppy. If you watch his videos, they're very gnarly in the style of sort of, sort of gritty kind of videos, chains around the neck. Uh, but there's also lots of stuff where you go, it's just an injury waiting to happen. Half reps, quarter reps, all this kind of stuff. So he's addressed this in a couple of his podcasts. And he says, listen, think about two things. He says, number one, I'm keeping tension on the muscle. I'm putting blood in there. I'm pumping. So you go, my train, <clears throat> excuse me, is kind of sloppy to you. But I've got a Mr. Olympia second place physique, Arnold titles. I'm keeping blood and tension in the muscle. I do drop sets. I do pre-exhaust. I do all kind of stuff to keep that muscle worked. This is number two. Talk about one of the greatest physiques of all time, someone who, who he admires. He says Dorian Yates. Now, Dorian's style of training, black and white video for blood and guts, etc., which looked kind of gritty, was full range, contract, strict kind of reps. He says... And he had a bunch of injuries to go with his kind of training. So he says, the idea that my training is somehow more injury prone than someone who trains super strict and yet ended up with a bunch of injuries kind of negates that. It says, and then it gets into a bunch of other stuff. But the problem here is kind of getting at Steve is a little bit sometimes where we know we should train properly, especially when you're young, you're on Instagram, you're on YouTube, you're watching a fellow workout and you see... You see Branch sitting there and he's got like two, three plates aside on the seated press and he's kind of bouncing it off the top of his pecs and he's kind of only getting the thing from his chest up to his nose and you think, why is he doing this kind of weird half rep? And then you look at his delts, you look at the top of his chest, you look at his arms and you see a monster. He says, so, and young guys will come on and go, why does Branch train like this? Why, why is it kind of sloppy looking? And then you look at his quads, you look at that gnarly, horrible, kind of crazy detail stuff that he's got and you go, right, so regardless of what you think, my training works for me. It's produced this physique. He's got a decent amount of muscle still on his frame right now. When doing the podcast, including the most recent one, he's sitting there with a Wicked Cuts t-shirt on. He's chatting away. I'm thinking of the Mark Bell one that, that I looked at for, for pre-show research. And he looks 210, 220 with an arm filling, chest filling. He looks in good nick. And, you know, so whatever the hell he's done, I can think of guys that we might do in a, in a future podcast. But Fox used to do this kind of bouncing, kind of sloppy form. And yet at the same time, he also talks about training. He says, look at the training that I do. He says, if I made any mistakes, I didn't give myself enough rest. That was one. He says, it's high intensity training. He references Mike Mentz in one of his podcasts. He says, it's high weight, high volume, high intensity. Could I have done with more rest? Yes. He tells a great story, which we'll get into in a minute with regards to diuretics and, and competition specifically. But look at the physique that he produced with the training that he did in a dirty, horrible gym, a dirty, horrible hardcore gym, a dirty, horrible gym. 90% of the stuff is with free weights. There's a little bit of machine work in there. Look at the fact that even with the injuries that he's had, he still produced a world-class physique and he's still got a good physique on him now. Yeah, he's making a lot of mistakes, Steve, in everybody else's opinion. But look how great it came out. Look at what happened. Does he have the prettiest physique? No, but I think that's just the aesthetics he was born with. Guys talk about training for aesthetics. I think the guys are talking about bullshit. You either have a classic shape or you don't. You have a Herculean shape or you don't. And Branch has got a Herculean shape. He comes on. He's kind of gnarly. He's kind of monstrous looking. He's foot 250 pounds at 5'6". He's a, he's a little, he's a short-ass monster. And he's one of those guys, even if you don't like his physique, to me, the training that he does is a kind of shit that I like, 
It's the kind of shit that makes me want to go to the gym and train myself. And, and as fucked up as his training was, it worked for fucking Branch. You know, I do certain things which are kind of stupid and certain things that I shouldn't be doing. It works for me. I'm sure we will make those kind of mistakes. The only issue you guys have got to worry about is don't do stupid stuff that gives you aches and pains and then come on the forums and ask us how you can fix the ache and pain. How about you don't do the stupid thing you keep doing all the time? We all make those mistakes as well. You know, we're sitting here talking about bicep tendonitis or, 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 or knee pain or whatever. We're all being guilty of that stuff. And as I said, it's it's easier to make those comments when you see him train, but that's just it, what it is. Branch has a world-class physique and you don't. That's it. On Let me talk about this uh, diuretic story very quickly, Steve. It's kind of class. It talks about mistakes that he's made. So he said about not resting enough sometimes when you're training crazy. He talked about a comp particular competition. I don't know which one. And he says he'd taken a, a diuretic and it wasn't what he thought it was. He goes into detail. And he ends up getting both quads cramped, a kind of chest cramp going on. And at some point, he's laying down on his bed and his buddy's there with him going, you look the best you've ever looked. And Branch is going, never mind how I look, call the ambulance, call 911. Anyway, they kind of fix it by taking in a load of stuff from, of all things, tomato ketchup. And he says one of his arms, which wasn't cramping up, he's trying to shake this bottle of ketchup into his mouth probably just for the sodium and nitrates or whatever's in there to fix this particular problem, which in this particular case, it did. But it's kind of like this is a top pro-level bodybuilder who's made a mistake with a drug because it's not what he thought it was and ends up having to fix it with, of all things, tomato ketchup. And then maybe it goes on stage. And I'm guessing, if it's one of the best looks he's ever had, I'm guessing it's probably around the time of the Arnold, if, if it's what I think it is. So, yeah, there, there, there's mistakes get, get made, even at the very, very top level. And you still end up looking absolutely crazy. But potentially, as we know with diuretic Steve, cramping and, and potassium loss and the stuff like this, you can end up with heart issues. You can end up dying, as has happened in bodybuilding. So once again, guys, hardcore is great, but you have to tread very carefully every so often as well. I want to get into the business stuff as well, Steve, if you don't mind, and then we'll do the nutrition and steroids quickly. Yeah, man, go for it. Right, so guys, we talk about sometimes during this podcast, these things that you can learn. Branch teaches us, if he teaches us nothing else, that you need to have, as Steve has already said, an interest outside of bodybuilding. And he is a great businessman, absolutely great businessman. We're not talking about billionaire here, but what we're talking about, someone who's never relied on the income that he got from bodybuilding or sponsorship or any of those particular things. And he talks about Rich Gaspari being a bit of an inspiration as well. Rich, of course, was a hard-training, short bodybuilder like Branch, who turned out into a great business with Gaspari Nutrition. Now, Gaspari's had its ups and downs, but it's still a decent business now. Pre-bodybuilding and during bodybuilding, Branch and Trish ran a freight business. I don't know if they still own it, but they certainly did when he was at his most successful part of his career which was moving fruit and veg from all the farms in Texas, all over the place. And this was a decent, I was all about six, seven figure income from this business year on year. Now, as Steve has referred to, Wicked Cuts is more of a recent thing. He's got, he's put on uh, two or three shows. I think it's a Branch Warren Classic every year. So this is a guy that not just trains and is a meathead, but he's a businessman too. And something Steve and I talked about in a pre-show, which Arnold Schwarzenegger has touched on. He, Branch was doing this during his career, but you can, guys can apply this. Go ahead and train, and if you get competitive and, and win and do well, great. Hopefully, you'll become a professional bodybuilder. But what Branch teaches us is that the effort of squatting 600 pounds, the grind of a competition diet is kind of hard. Now apply that, the lessons you've learned, your ability to push yourself into kind of stupid places, to become depleted and still train to get on stage when you're feeling like death warmed up. Business is kind of easy. Getting up early to, to, to do deliveries, getting up early to sort stuff out, doing 12-hour days in and off. This is nothing compared to the stuff that you guys are doing when it's a 24-7 thing, when you're a top professional bodybuilder. Everything you do, pieces of food, prepping food, training, the grind, the pain, the pleasure if you win, all of those things are, are kind of difficult compared to what is comparatively easy thing in business so learn that lesson push yourself real hard in the gym and doing a day in an office should be easy by comparison push yourself really hard 
as a competitive bodybuilder and then take those same skill sets, the same lessons, the same ability to push real hard and apply them to business. So here's this, he's got a bunch of stuff now. He had a bunch of stuff back in the day, uh, never completely relied on the income from bodybuilding and was successful in both arenas. He was lucky that he had both those things together. And it wasn't something that came afterwards. It was at the same time, which makes it even more difficult. So not only is he training like a crazy guy, not only is he putting in the time in the gym, he was also at the same time applying himself in the business. A lot of the time, this is afterwards or before. This was during in Branch's case. That makes it even more impressive because he was able to do the two things at the same time and still be successful. Let's get into the nutrition, Steve, and then we'll get onto the steroids. So back to you. So when you're five foot six, 250 pounds at your peak, and he's chasing a guy like Jay Cutler, who was 260, 290 in the offseason, yeah. you've got to chase. I mean, because Jay Cutler is, you know, a taller guy. Um, I think Jay Cutler was like, what, 5'9", five, 5'10", five, mobster? Yeah, I'm going to say the same, yeah. 5'10"-ish. So... He's listed as five nine, so he's got three inches, three inches on you. So, I mean, there's definitely a small man syndrome there where you got to get big, you got to get big. So to get that big, you've got to consume a lot of food. You got to take a lot of steroids. You know, it takes a lot. You got to have the tremendous genetics. If I just say, you know, someone's five six two fifty, right off the bat, I'm gonna think, oh my god, this person's obese, but. He was still 34 inch waist, even at that size. So it's just an incredible amount of muscle mass. He was known. One of the interesting things that I found out with his nutrition lobster was he would eat three pounds of chicken per day, just chicken per day. That's crazy. <laughs> you know, that's like, a, that's like, that's, boring. <laughs> that's not human. I mean, a no, cat that's a cat. Really difficult. Yeah. I mean, cats. I, eat, I mean, your cats probably eat a lot every day. I mean, but they're cats, you know, and they. Yeah, even they're very in diet. So pound for pound, I mean, he's like eating like he's a a lion, you know. He's eating as much yeah. food as a cat, so it's it's amazing. So we're talking up to five hundred grams of protein per day, upwards of four hundred grams of carbs per day. Mm. Uh, one of his favorite foods, as well as eggs. Eggs is kind of like the bodybuilder food it's like one of the most perfect bodybuilder foods if you guys don't like eggs then you're really missing out good quality humane friendly pasture raised eggs from chickens who are out on the sun eating bugs eating seeds off the ground those are the best and healthiest eggs you could possibly put in your body fish potatoes a little bit of red meat vegetables and rice so Really, these are bodybuilding food guys. He's not he's not eating Pop-Tarts and pizza and drinking soda. You know, he's eating these foods. These are muscle building foods that go along with his genetics, training, and his steroid use. And it all adds up, you know, and that's how he was able to get five foot six, 250 pounds lean. So that's that's how it goes. So we'll get into a steroid cycle. Uh, Mops, do you have any thoughts on that you want to throw in? I'm just going to add that as this business, I mentioned it earlier on, guys, he hunts. And it's not just wild boar, but wild boar is the favorite thing to hunt. And as I mentioned, he says, I don't hunt to kill, I hunt to eat. And I've mentioned in a previous show where we talked about if there was meat left over when Brian Dobson and he's taken a bunch of pro bodybuilders with Brian out on these hunts. I mean, Flex Lewis, uh, Doreen Yates, they've all been out on these kind of crazy hunts with him. They eat the meat. They have a barbecue back at the gym. They have a barbecue back at the ranch. But what meat they've got left over, they're giving away to the community. So people come in and they take this meat away. If it's a 400-pound boar and they've eaten 10 pounds of meat between them, then there's a lot of meat left over for other people, frozen, fresh, taken away at the gym, sorted out, cut ready, and all the rest of that kind of stuff. So I suspect his diet varies more now from the typical bodybuilding thing that Steve said just it works. It worked. Look what happened. But uh, it's probably arguably, well, boar's got to be damn healthy, Steve. I'm sure there's venison in there. I'm sure there's a bunch of other animals that are having in there as well. So, yeah, guys. The taste is nothing. Like, if you eat wild oh. fish, wild – I've never had wild boar, but I do go fishing, like wild fish. I've had wild it's, boar. It's nothing compared to Venice. buying fish from the store or farm-raised fish. Oh, my God, it's disgusting. Farm-raised yeah. fish is disgusting. Like, even even free-range uh, poultry compared to so farms poultry. Absolutely, yeah. 
That's what I eat. I don't eat anything. I don't eat anything from the corporate farmers. I eat everything like grass-fed beef. I want yeah. my the cows Bone eating grass outside. What it's what tasty. they're supposed to eat? Not not giving like all this crap. So this is what this guy does, guys. You guys have to start eating better. You have to know where your food comes from. You can't just go to Walmart and buy their cheap meats and think that that's gonna you know be healthy for you. <laughs> it's not. You got to get quality meats if you're gonna eat meat you gotta eat quality meat um and want quality fish and quality everything it makes a huge difference for quick sure. aside for you steve i mean something you and i have talked about as well i think on the forums if not in the podcast one of the things that i can afford to do and one of the things i appreciate now and steve's just touched on it already of course is the quality of meat that i have i get mine from the butcher which is delivered if i don't buy it from the supermarket and the stuff that i do buy from the supermarket I'm having that stuff, dry age, 28 days hung, dry age, all this kind of stuff. And the difference between that and a, and a cheaper cut, just in just in the texture, just in the taste. And again, you're talking about, as I said, with, with, with poultry, with corn and grass fed, all those kind of things. Omega fatty acids is healthy. You can taste the difference. If it's quality, you can taste the difference. Going back to his bodybuilding diet very quickly, some of it's boring, but this stuff works. If you can then make it better for you with the with with the aging of the meat, with the quality poultry, et cetera, et cetera, it's going to make it that much easier to eat because it's still going to be it's going to be damn tasty. And finally, and don't be afraid to do this, guys. Even on a very bland chicken, fish, rice, whatever bodybuilding diet, season. Go out and learn. Make your own seasons. I think Steve's touched on this before. Buy a mortar and pestle. Make your own seasons. Make your own healthy low-fat sources, and flavor the fuck out of your food. I don't do spicy, but if you can do spicy, if you can do Texican hot spicy barbecue, do these things so that the boring diet, boring but healthy diet, becomes flavorsome. Change it up, mix things up, and that kind of stuff. Let's get into the steroid cycle, Steve. We know what our listeners want. Let's show them what, let's show them what we what we know about or what we think we know about, as usual, it's, it's all guesswork, people, about Branch. Branch discusses some things, but he does not get into the meat and potatoes. We're going to do that for you. Steve. So let's, you know, let's talk about what he would have when he was peeking at Mr. Olympia. He's chasing Jay Cutler. He's trying to knock Jay Cutler off. And then he's got Phil Heath behind, right behind him. So, you know, he's got... These are the two best bodybuilders of his era. They're the Tiger Woods of bodybuilding, and he's trying to knock them off. So he's got to push. He's got to push. So steroid use, very, very important. You know, what, what did the guys use in that time? Lots of testosterone propionate, 1,200 milligrams a week over a gram. Now, why propionate? A lot of guys want to know that. You want to be flexible. When you're a bodybuilder, you're trying to time your physique to that day when you use a long ester of testosterone that's going to take weeks to be out of your system guys you multiply the half-life times four or five and that gives you how long the ester is going to be in your system so you don't want that testosterone in your system on competition day when you're getting judged because it's going to give you a fuller look it's going to give you water retention so they use propionate because it's they can stop it, and then a week and a half, two weeks later, it's gone. It's out of the system. It's not giving them that fluffy look anymore. It's not giving them that water retention. You do not want water retention on the day of your competition. So it's very crucial that these guys use propionate, testosterone propionate. Now, you as an average gym rat, doesn't matter. You're not trying unless you're you're trying to look good on a certain day, you have a wedding, you know, you're, you're going to the beach, you're going on vacation, you want to look good on a certain day. That's a different situation. But for these guys, they want to be flexible. Same thing with Trumbalone. They'll run an acetate. Again, they want to be flexible. They don't want that train in their system at high levels on competition day. Trend is very inflammatory. Trend messes with your gut. Maybe you get a little bulge on your gut because of that trend. So the best, the best way you look on trend is going to be not while you're on trend. It's actually going to be two or three weeks once you stop trend because that inflammation goes down in the body. You'll actually look leaner because of that, even though your body weight hasn't changed. It's just that inflammation. So we're looking at a gram a week. Trembolone, most intense steroid. His workouts were intense, Mobster. You know that? Yeah. Yep. He needed to be aggressive in the gym. 
He needed to stress out those muscles. He needed to get those results. And trend is an absolute must. If you want to get big, if you want to get ripped, if you want to get strong, trend is the absolute mandatory steroid that these guys would have used in this era. That's, you know, one of the most missing things that guys from the 70s and early 80s didn't have access to that guys started having access to, especially in the 90s. And which is why bodybuilding blew up so big was Trenbolone. If you would have gave uh, Arnold Trenbolone in the 70s, his physique oh. would have been much different than it was. Yeah. Samir yeah. Banu won Mr. Olympia. He was like 185 pounds. If you would have gave him Tren and he would have got to use Tren in, in those days, he would have been like 220, 230. So, I mean, yeah. Tren was, was the game changer. So these guys were definitely on, on have to be on lots of Tren. Another one, Deca Durabolin. Um, early in his career, guys, probably not late in his career, um, over a gram a week. It's a mild steroid. It's really good when it comes to mood, when it comes to appetite. My gosh, my last Deca cycle I ran, I was, I mean, I can't, I was eating so much food. I just could not stop eating. Like I would double my, I would eat double as much food every day because I would just be so freaking hungry because of that DECA. And that's what DECA does, even a small amount. So imagine 1200 milligrams a week, what it, what it would have done for him. Another one, equipoise, 800 milligrams a week. Um, again, that it's a mild compound. You can add it. It's not going to like add to the side effects too much to your cycle and it will help you build increase protein synthesis and build muscle. What else, uh, Mobster, do you got on him? I'm looking here at, at Anadrol, and I actually think from what you said already, some of these drugs we could talk about pre-competition and some of them we could talk about off-season with the kind of mass that uh, he had. And as you, as you mentioned, the kind of training that he did. Uh, trend, trend for me is definitely in there. And the idea that Anadrol, 150 milligrams a day, with the mass that he keeps on him and retention of muscle that he was able to bring in from pre-competition to competition training, you need to maintain that muscle. You need to be aggressive in the gym. And if there's anything, he's aggressive in his, in his training approach. And now he came across when he was getting ready for competitions. And even the look was kind of aggressive looking uh, when he was on stage. Winstrol, you'd have to be real, real careful with the Winstrol for issues with his joints. So it's not kind of crazy to suggest that he was taking 100 milligrams a day. Now, something, which I, I've, I've made notes here, specifically for the last two drugs, I'm talking about here, for example, HGH, potentially up to 20 IUs a day. Now, he says in podcast, and you mentioned during the podcast we're doing now, that he, he was a big carb user, and he did well on carbs. Lo and behold, insulin, of course. So we go, right. He's talking about 600, maybe 800 milligrams, sorry, 600 to 800 grams, potentially a day of carbohydrates going into his diet, being sensitive to carbs, doing well on carbs. So the idea that he then manipulates that and gets the most out of his carb consumption, the most out of his diet, dietary nutrition with HGH is an easy leap to make for us when we're guessing what we thought he did. The last... Sorry, with, with regards to insulin, HGH for me for, for a branch, and I've mentioned this a bunch of podcasts before, it's kind of twofold. First and foremost is that lean, gnarly look that he had, and he was fortunate. I think mean, he kind of looks like his elbows might have had a bit of a problem with HGH now, but maybe that's only because his physique shrunk down. He's had a bunch of injuries that we refer to, specifically the quad injuries. So the idea that he could train do that kind of crazy training that we're talking about and still recover, still have good tendons. And, and of course, with the HGH leaning him out and giving him that kind of gnarly, grainy look that he had to his physique, something that Dorian was uh, 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 historically referred to as having that kind of grainy look, something that when you look at, when you look at Branch's physique, the combination of training, that dense, hard, horrible muscle from heavy, heavy weights from the powerlifting background and diet, and nutrition and HGH, bringing that in and recovering from the injuries. Like I said, those things for me is, is um, almost a given. We could argue about the amounts, but I think HGH and insulin were in there, whether it was 20 IUs or 10 IUs, whether it was 5 IUs or 15 IUs, whatever you like, we can argue about those things all day long. In fact, realistically, 
the levels that we're suggesting here for branch aren't that high compared to some of the modern guys from 2000 onwards and the increase in levels of insulin and increasing levels of HGA. And again, look at how branch's physique turned out. Look how he did recover from injuries. So I would say that those last two drugs, HGA and insulin, they're golden. If they're not in his cycle, why the hell not? The trend for me is in its way, but for all the, all the benefits, pluses and minuses that trend gives, trends for me is that, that drug that's making him look like the monster that he was in the gym. So that's definitely for me. Something that we don't mention in our, in our notes for, for this, but I have mentioned in the podcast earlier on, because he mentioned it himself in the podcast that he done, is that competition diuretics were definitely in there as well. He talks about it. I mean, he made the classic mistake, and this is one of those warning shots for you guys to pay attention to. Right? So we discuss on the forums and in his podcast, drugs, as it's kind of a given. If, if it says trend, then it's trend, and I inject trend, and I get trend-like results. The issue for him, and this is a professional bodybuilder we're talking about, was that he asked the buddy to get him some diuretics. It was assumed it was a particular kind of diuretic that he was familiar with, and he would knew that he would have the reaction or response from it. It was assumed, as we all do when we when we when we when we get steroids and other PEDs for competition and for training, of course, that it's it, it is what it says on the label, and it is the dose that it says. Lo and behold, in this particular case, I've heard a story earlier on. It wasn't the direct he thought it was, and it wasn't dosed how he thought it was. So the reliance on the label, the reliance on the supplier, et cetera, was here a kind of mistake, and it ended up causing him problems. So when we talk about these drugs, you guys, hopefully with the sources that we suggest and recommend on the forums, are getting exactly what you pay for. But even if a professional bodybuilder can make that mistake, you can make it too. So there's a lesson for you to learn as well. I would prefer my drugs, if a little bit, slightly underdosed rather than overdosed because I would hate to be taking more than I thought it was and end up with more side effects. I would rather have to take a little bit more uh, just to get the dose up to a level because it's either that or, of course, it being exactly on point or as near on point as possible. You don't want to be making mistakes when you go into competition. You don't want to undo all that hard work you were doing by making a mistake the night before. And the number of bodybuilders that make kind of two mistakes, one seems to be with diuretic sleep the day before a competition, getting ready so there's no water in there under their skin and all the muscles are popping out when they get on stage. The other one, actually there's three mistakes thinking about it. The other one is how many guys have we seen get food poisoning? Take the damn food with you that you've been eating, keep it cold, eat it, prep it, or at least know 100% the source that you got it from, especially if you're traveling to a competition and you go out and buy a bunch of chicken breasts or someplace you've never used. And of course, the other one is the amount of guys that kind of screw up. And again, this comes in with the insulin or whatever else and the directs of what he mentioned, screw up their carbs. So that they do 16 weeks of competition prep, get screwed in the last 24 hours. That's kind of crazy to me. And here's someone in the case of Branch. I think he got it right, Steve. I don't recall really seeing an out of shape on stage Branch Warren. As you said, he ran into two dinosaurs, two juggernauts of bodybuilding when he was trying to make his name. And that was his only problem. I mean, really, you know, if, if those two guys hadn't been there, the guys he was competing against at the time, I think Branch would have been top three all day long, no matter what, and certainly winning competition. So when we guessed at the steroid cycle and the PEDs that he was using, I don't think we're too far off, off the mark. And look, he, he, he got it right. His only problem was that lack of genetics, whether it would be height or the aesthetics that the other two guys brought. When you're up against a 300-pound Ronnie or you're up against a 260, 270-pound and taller and more aesthetic Jay Cutler, that, that's not something you can do anything about. You can control the rest. And as far as I'm concerned, he controlled the rest. I can't see anything wrong with these drugs, and none of them are really crazy excessive. We've, we've done in podcasts, Steve, I think you can tell us now, where we talked about some of the, the crazier cycles that we've seen. This is, for me, almost perfect for a, a, a competition. A bodybuilder like Branch, I don't see anything the matter with this in terms of a top professional bodybuilder and definitely not compared to some of the crazier cycles that we've seen. Don't you think? Yeah, and here's the thing guys have to understand. When you eat that much food, that's as much food as he was eating, that many carbs, that much protein, that much meat, 
you're, you know, the, the average person, there are people out there who eat as much as branch eight, but they're obese. We call them obese in the United States. So how was he able to have that kind of physique without being obese? How is he able to have that much muscle? There's a genetic factor. There is a, you know, these steroids, these drugs that he's taking. He's messing around with diuretics. He's messing around with possibly DMP as well. DMP is big, especially early in his career. DMP came around. A lot of guys were messing with DMP. And, you know, you've got to do these things. You've got to do these things to get to five foot six, 250 pounds. I mean, that's how it goes. So at the end of the day, you know, he's going to run. Mobster brung up a point about HGH and insulin. When you eat that much food, you know, it's not going to get into, be absorbed into the body and feed those muscles unless you put yourself in a certain metabolic type of, uh, you know, you create an, an environment in the body to where it can do that. So what happens is when a person eats that much food, it's just going to get stored as fat. But when you're on these much, these many drugs, these steroids, that trembolone is great at it too. The nutrition partitioning where it kind of zeroes in and is able to get in those muscles. Then you stress out those muscles. So you're getting all that protein synthesis. That's how he can build that size. So you at home. Depleted from training is creating an anabolic environment from training. The style of training is that's going to deplete the hell out of you. So nutrition is going to suck up. The drugs are going to suck up. You're creating a situation coming out of the gym, coming out of Metroflex, where you kind of want to take those drugs and you kind of want to take that food straight away. I suspect he was a sponge. And again, the genetic part of it as well. A sponge when he came out of the gym for this stuff. And particularly the, the those last two drugs that I've mentioned. The anabolics he can have in his system already. But these last two is going to, is going to repair the broken down tissue and soak up the carbs, soak up the nutrition, pull in the protein and begin the process probably more than most people. I don't train that way. And if I did, I'd want to be kind of in a car park, eating in a car or eating as I walk time or whatever, kind of straight away, kind of get into this environment. And again, competitive bodybuilding, it's on another level. It should be on another, it's your day job for Christ's sake. It's on another level. So we, we can talk about you and I with the typical guy that goes to the gym. It doesn't need to be in 20 minutes after a workout. Branch probably did for the combination of things that we're talking about. The kind of training, high intensity, volume, etc., would deplete the fuck out of you. You should come out of that gym kind of no glycogen left, kind of hanging out your ass, sit in your pickup and immediately eat that food to get the repair going and just to get some energy back in your system. That's how it should have been. And if you look at his training and look how he's approached the body, I suspect that's exactly right. Now, if you can then do insulin and HGH and you can manipulate those things at the same time, it's difficult. You can fuck up really easily, especially with the insulin, if you're in that kind of situation. But if you get it right, and let's be honest, he has to have got it right, he's still with us, he had a great physique, then is a perfect scenario, as anabolic as you can possibly get. For most of our listeners, it won't really work that way. They they lack the genetics and they lack this approach to training. And they've got real world stuff to do. They've got jobs to go to after the gym. They've got lives to go. They've got misses and kids to deal with. Can't sit there absolutely hanging out your ass, worn the fuck out from the training that you just done, hour and hour and a half, two hours in the gym. You're completely depleted and then jabbing needle in and eat food straight to and that kind of stuff. It's not real world stuff, but it worked for Branch. I suspect this is exactly what he was doing. And he turned into a world-class physique. Heck, he's got a world-class physique now, better than 95% of the guys you'll see down at the gym. He might not be as ripped, but he's still walking around. He's recovered from all those injuries. He's a successful guy. He's to be admired, people. He's got his stuff together, and he might come across as a Texan and a... And a, and a, and a, a and I say that in the nicest way, a bit of a redneck or whatever else. <laughs> but, but Steve, it worked. He's successful. He's got his own businesses. He's got a beautiful wife. Man, why shouldn't we be jealous? <laughs> Absolutely, yeah. I think a lot of guys listening to this would love uh, Branch's oh, life yeah. for sure. He's got it. He's got it made for sure. And, um, you know, you got to respect 
uh, well, Mobster broke up earlier about his uh, charitable work as well. So he seems like a good guy. Um, you know, he, you can't really just go on his Instagram and just be like, man, this guy is a douchebag because some of these other guys we, we've done, good Lord. I mean, it's one, all one, like, two, a, I mean, you get one, sick two. of the Lamborghinis and the women yeah. in the jacuzzi and all this. I mean, look, anyone can pay. I can spend 500 bucks and rent a Lamborghini for the day. Yeah. I can go hire hookers for like two, $300 an hour to come and take pictures with me. I mean, I'm not impressed. Okay. But this is, <laughs> you know what I mean? So I'm not impressed that you can pay, you know, people Seriously, put it on a forum. <laughs> yeah. If you One see anyone gonna that, that's gonna be hilarious, right? You know, just you a with like five it. women, you know, like I'm the man, you know, I'm the man. <laughs> One thing he does do on Instagram, which we, we did talk about in the pre-show, I very quickly mentioned it, guys. He does this kind of a uh, wheel of fortune thing every Friday, I think it is. Friday or the weekend for sure. A wheel of fortune figure. He's got like a couple of characters that come on there with long hair and kind of crazy looking shit. But his family members, I've no idea who the hell they are. I haven't watched it properly. And it's one of those live Instagram things that comes on every Friday. He's got his Wheel of Fortune wheel up there and there's all different kind of things on. I think they've had a thousand bucks, Steve, on there at one time. And you've got things like you can win a month's supply of Wicked Cuts or whatever else. It's a different way of attracting people to your social media. You go in there, 10,000 people, 5,000 people watching it or whatever, and, you know, clicking refresh and, and putting your name down and hoping to win something. And it's the way that he gets you to come and look at his business, at his products, et cetera, et cetera. But it's all done, it kind of almost amateurish deliberately. It's kind of like stickies are stuck on the wheel and you know, his buddy's got his long hair and he's standing there like some kind of hippie goofing around. And it's not, it doesn't look at all professional, but it's kind of fun. And it's a different way of attracting. As Steve said, you go out and hire a Lamborghini or get yourself some weekend hose, or you can have a sticky-covered sticky wheel of fortune and a buddy with long hair goofing off, and you're thinking, who the hell is he? On, is he high? Is he on drugs? And it, it, I think it's just a fun thing that they do on a Friday or Saturday afternoon. And, and uh, obviously for the followers he has on Instagram to come and watch. So, yeah, completely atypical. He's not doing all the normal Instagram stuff. He's not trying to sell you... Uh, a transformation program or whatever. He, uh, he sells his normal products and he's doing this completely off the wall thing that's different from most other bodybuilders. You don't see Cry Green doing a Wheel of Fortune when you use pair of my underpants. This is not, it's coming at a completely different approach. And again, it's memorable. I've only seen this a couple of times and I'm thinking, what the hell? Looks kind of crazy, looks kind of cheap, but it's worked because I'm remembering it. And again, it's something that Branch has done differently. So we get into the, uh, as usual, we have to give you a warning, guys, Steve. Right, shall I read it? Yeah, guys. Okay. So this was this was Branch Warren and uh, Mobster. Take us into the disclaimer. Disclaimer as always, guys. Please note we're not doctors and opinions that we put in this podcast are ours. It's our view and based on the experience and views that we have on the topic. Our podcasts are for informational purposes and entertainment only and the freedom of speech and the First Amendment replies, applies even. Thank you very much.